If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of John. John's in the New Testament. Call it the Gospel. Gospel means good news. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35 this morning. We're going to be reading through verse 51 here in a moment. Uh, If you're visiting with us this morning, if you are uh, still checking out Harvest Hill, if you've been here for a long time, then I'm excited. This is one of those Sundays where we do numerous times throughout the year where we come back and we recap what we call the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. Just like all of us here this morning have a heartbeat, it's what makes us alive. It makes us have the strength to do what we need to do. It makes us healthy and and able to go about in life. So we are the body of Christ, and as the body we have a heartbeat. And so we're recapping our heartbeat of Harvest Hill to make sure we have a strong heart as a church, to make sure that we are alive as a church. And so I'll I'll give you what the heartbeat is right off the bat, and we're going to walk through the text and see how this works out. But my prayer this morning is, whether you're visiting or you've been here for a while, is that all of us, even those who have been walking with Christ for a long time, but all of us have times in life where we go through valleys. Uh, If we didn't, then God wouldn't say, that we, He is our shepherd even through the valley of the shadow of death. We all go through times where we feel like maybe we're, we just feel distant from God. We're not hearing God the way we should. We're not maybe as excited as we were at one point in time in our life or when we were uh, like youth are heading off to camp here in a couple of months, when we were at camp or at that conference or when this event happened in our life and God was so real and so evident. And part of looking at our heartbeat this morning is not just the heartbeat of Harvest Hill, but it's the heartbeat of God that even though we may go through those valleys, we may get in those spiritual ruts of life, we all do it, is is that the Bible brings out why that may happen in our own life and how we can get through that. And part of that is looking, like I said, at this heartbeat. So here's the heartbeat of Harvest Hill, and we'll see how this is actually God's heart and what He wants for all of our life. Harvest Hill exists so all people can meet Jesus, mature in their relationship with God, and be on mission for the kingdom of God, all for the sake of multiplication through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, sometimes I struggle with keeping focus on purpose. And, an, and answering the question of why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the point of all of this? Why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to do this? And so my hope and prayer this morning is that we see why we are called to do these things and why as a church this is what makes us healthy and vibrant. And I also pray that if you're in that spiritual rut, that God will awaken and open your eyes to see, okay, Maybe this is the part that I'm, I'm needing to apply to my life to break through this time of, of, of shadow or time of valley. Again, we're going to be in John chapter 1. In verse 35 is where we're going to begin. We're going to be reading through verse 51. If you have your Bible with you, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't know where to begin, the text will also be behind me on the screen as we read through it. And the word of the Lord says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And this John is John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together before we dive into this. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have risen. And Lord, we come into your throne room of grace only by the blood of the Lamb who has given us access by faith. We come into your presence. You are the holy, holy, holy God the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You know everything about every individual in this place. There's not a thing in our life that is hidden from your wisdom and your knowledge. And Father, I pray in this moment that your word would become living and active in our life, that you would soften our hearts, that the seeds of your gospel would would begin to take root and to produce fruit according to your will and your purpose. Father, you would open eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. Lord, that you would give me the words that you once said this morning, that they would be pleasing to you. Father, above all else, we ask that you alone be glorified in this place, that it would be your will and your kingdom that is done in each and every life, that it would not be about any individual, but it would be about you and what you're doing with us and transforming us to be more like your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for forgiveness. If we as your people have not been worshiping you in spirit and truth and have not been the worshipers you've been seeking after, but in this moment as we open your word, let us love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength to not just to be hearers of your word in this moment, but to be doers and appliers that we might be wives builders building upon the rock. So take us where you need us to be. Be our good shepherd, our leader, our fortress. Father, give us the strength when the tempter comes here in the next couple minutes to try to pull us from your loving voice that's trying to speak to us. But help us in this moment have complete focus on you and your glory and your holiness. I thank you for what's going to happen in your next couple minutes and how you're going to transform us in ways we never expected. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who may be in this moment struggling with you. That this message bring peace to them and and, and correction and rebuke, but also an awakening. And I pray for those here this morning who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, that you would just give them your mercy 
Allow them to understand that and allow them to understand what it means to be saved and to be in a relationship with you. So take us where you want us to be before we leave this place. We pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, I love reading the Gospel of John. It is one of my favorite Gospels. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing where you can have a favorite book of the Bible because it's all God's Word, but it's one of my favorites. And, and if you've ever done a Bible study through the Gospel of John, um, there's a couple things that I want to give you maybe help you as you're going through that Bible study. Um, or maybe if you're wanting to begin a new Bible study, a couple things to help you as you read through the Gospel of John. First, a little background. The Gospel of John is written by a man by the name of John. Uh, he is believed to be the disciple who goes unnamed in our passage that we read this morning, that the other disciple, we give, are given Andrew's name, the other disciple is John, who's the brother of James, one of the sons of thunder. Throughout the Gospel of John, he's referred to in that way, the other disciple, sometimes the beloved disciple, or even the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Um, he omits his name throughout the Gospel as a, as a token of humbleness. It's not to give him that title, the one Jesus loved, to put him up on this peak or, or to make him seem better than the others, but just as a token of humbleness that he didn't even feel his name deserved to be in this book as he's writing out the message of Jesus Christ. Because this gospel, even though it bears his name, isn't about John. It's about Jesus. And so the gospel of John is focused on a particular group of people known as Gnostics. The world in which John is writing is a Gnostic world. A Gnostic is an individual who seeks after truth. And so a lot of times they do that through questions. So if you're ever reading through the Gospel of John, one way that will help you in your studying of this book is when you come across a question in the Gospel of John is to note that question. What is the question being asked? Who is asking the question? What is the point of the question? Is the question being answered? What is the question hoping to accomplish or, or bring insight to? Because throughout this gospel, there are numerous questions because that is the group in which John is writing this letter to. So they can understand who Jesus Christ is. Ultimately, the deity of Jesus Christ, the equality of Jesus with God, hence the gospel opens up, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. It's also in the Gospel of John where Jesus makes the proclamation, I and the Father are one, and before Abraham was, I am. That's all here because John is pointing to the deity and the equality of Jesus with the eternal God. Now, in our world, we don't deal so much with Gnostics in the search of truth, but maybe agnostic. An agnostic is an individual who believes there is no such thing as a truth. And so there's no truth to be claimed. Therefore, you cannot claim that there is a God. The funny thing or hypocritical thing about an agnostic is their belief is there's no such thing as truth. The problem with that statement is they're saying that this is a truth, that there's no such thing as truth. So you can see some of the flaws in that. Well, John is dealing with an agnostic world that is seeking after truth. And one thing I love about the Gospel of John, every time I'm reading it, every time I'm studying it and going through it, I always have to stop on verse 38 in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. It is the very first words recorded by Jesus Christ in this gospel. And maybe your Bible has it in red. Maybe it doesn't. That doesn't matter. The gospel writers didn't change up their pen uh, coloring when they were writing their, their letters out. 
But the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which John was directed by the Holy Spirit to write, is in the form of a question. And that question is, what are you seeking? The very first words of Jesus are, what are you seeking? Now leading up to this question, because I want us to spend some time with this question this morning, what, what set the stage for Jesus to ask the question actually begins in verse 29. Again, reading through, you can see some key phrases in the first chapter. Verse 29, verse 35, verse 43 all begin with the next day. So we have three days of sequence going on in the opening chapter of John. Well, verse 29, it begins with the next day, and it takes us to the shores of the Jordan River, where John the Baptist is preaching and proclaiming about the coming of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited uh, one spoken of the prophets in the Old Testament, that He is coming, and He's preparing the way, preparing the hearts of the people to be ready for Jesus Christ showing up. Well, Jesus Christ shows up. Praise the Lord. And so John proclaims there in verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is setting the stage. What I want you to notice here is nothing really happens at this particular day or moment when John makes this proclamation. He simply begins to share of his experience with Jesus Christ and what he witnessed when he baptized Jesus and seen the Spirit of God descend upon him. That takes us to verse 35, which begins with the next day, hence day number two, where John was again standing with two of his disciples. We know one of the disciples to be named Andrew. The other is the unknown or what we now know as John. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. So again, Jesus is walking by. And what does John proclaim once again? Behold, the Lamb of God. A very similar proclamation that he made the, the earlier day, but what we see on this particular day in verse 35 and 36, as John makes his proclamation, now his disciples make a move or an action in, in answering to the proclamation of who Jesus was being the Lamb of God. They begin to follow Jesus. And so what we see in this passage as we're walking through this heartbeat is our first heartbeat in meeting Jesus. And within this text from verse 35 through 51, we see there are multiple ways to which people can meet Jesus. The two disciples who were disciples of John met Jesus through preaching and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. When Andrew, began, after he spent some time with Jesus, he goes to find his brother Peter, who becomes one of the more famous disciples in all of Scripture, He's also known as Simon or Cephas. We'll get to that in a moment. But it is through Andrew's personal invitation to Peter to which Peter meets Jesus. We see in verse 43, Philip meets Jesus through a personal encounter and the presence of Jesus coming upon his life is what we may call divine revelation today. Philip then goes to his very hesitant friend, Nathaniel, who in the other Gospels, if you're reading, is also referred to as Bartholomew and not Nathaniel. But Nathaniel meets Jesus through a personal experience. What I want us to see is there is not one way to which people meet Jesus in the Gospels, just like there is not one way to which people meet Jesus today. Some people will meet Jesus through preaching and proclamation. 
That's why we invite people to church. And so they can hear Jesus preach, they can hear the Word of God preach, they can hear the good news proclaimed with the desire that they meet Jesus and begin a relationship with God. In order for that to happen, some people need to meet Jesus because you are an Andrew. And so you go give a personal invite to people in your life that are close to you, that you love and you care about, and you bring them to church or you bring them to that place where they can in fact meet Jesus. There are going to be some people in your life that you're going to be praying for that you may not have a personal encounter with day to day, but you're praying for a personal encounter or a divine revelation to come upon their life where God reveals himself, maybe not through you, but through something else or some experience or maybe some other individual where they can meet Jesus. This is why we pray for family members and friends across this world. It's why we pray for our missionaries. Some people meet Jesus because they experience the presence of God, and some people meet Jesus because they hear of other people who've met Jesus sharing about their personal experience with Jesus, what we call our testimony or witness. All of these avenues are available, but I think sometimes we can put God in a box that the way people meet Jesus is they have to come to church and hear a preacher, which I want them to do, obviously, but God wants to use you through different avenues that people would meet Jesus through your testimony and through your words and through your actions. Ultimately, if you've met Jesus, God wants to use you so other people can meet Jesus through you. And that doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. It doesn't mean you have to be a teacher. You may that be that type of person that the best way for people to meet Jesus through you is you have a personal invitation. You have a personal touch where you sit down with them and have a conversation with them and you kind of talk about your personal experiences with Jesus just like John the Baptist did and leading to his two disciples following Jesus. And this leads us up to the question, but I also want us to see one more thing. In verse 29 and then in verse 36, John makes a very similar proclamation. Verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then we're told in verse 35, it's the next day. And John makes a very similar proclamation, just a little bit short, short, shorter. I'll get the word out in a second. Behold the Lamb of God. It's pretty much the, the same message, but notice it happens on two different days. It was not the first day to which the disciples of John finally understood what John is trying to do in pointing people to Jesus. John understood it wasn't about me. He must become greater. I must decrease. He must increase. But it was the second day of John proclaiming. I want us to catch that because there are probably people in your life, at least I hope there are people in your life, that you're sharing Jesus with. You are being Jesus to them in your life. But they don't seem to be getting it. They don't seem to be understanding it or, or, or understanding what you're wanting to do for them in introducing them to Jesus Christ. But notice it didn't happen for John either. It was the next day. So we got to keep proclaiming we got to keep preaching we got to keep presenting we got to keep being personal in people's lives because the ultimate goal that we want is we want to be a part of God's will and plan and as for all people to come to a saving knowledge of grace that is only found through Jesus Christ our desire should be every individual that is in our life that they would meet Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because if they don't we as believers know they are going to hell that's not our proclamation. That's God's truth and God's word. And that's just the way God has set it up. 
It is only through Jesus Christ. That's why he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that means every individual in your life is in your life because God has brought them in your life so that they can meet Jesus through you. Now, again, that may not be preaching. That may not be teaching. That just may be sitting down over a cup of coffee and having a personal conversation about what God is doing in your life. That's exactly what these individuals did. But you notice, I love this question in verse 38. John points out to Jesus and two disciples begin following Jesus. And the very first words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in the Gospel of John is in the form of a question, what are you seeking? What a great question for us to stop and ponder on when we're just in our own Bible study and even this morning. What are you seeking? Leave it to Jesus to get to the point. Every phrase today in our world in English is, what do you want? Jesus Christ turns these two individuals who hears John the Baptist's proclamation of him. They're following him. I don't know if it's like an awkward follow. You know how some people like follow like stalker-like and they hide behind stuff. And some people follow and they're loud trying to get your attention. I don't know which one it is, but obviously Jesus notices them. He, he knows why they're following them. Because he's Jesus, he's God in the flesh, he knows all things. But he stops to ask them a question on meaning and motivation. What do you want? That's kind of rude, Jesus. There's a question I think if Jesus asks, we all have got to ask. What did you come here today seeking? What brought you here today? Why are you here? I believe the Bible... Well, I don't believe, I know the Bible reveals that we as God's people are all in danger of going through the motions. We're all in danger of getting spiritual ruts and going into the valleys. We might be here today because this is Sunday, and Sunday's the day you go to church. You might be here at this particular church because this is the one you've just always seemed to come to or always seem to find your, yourself at. You notice how the disciples answer the question. They answer the question with a question. And this is where we need to be this morning. The disciples were not seeking a what, but a who. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? See, at this point in time, they didn't fully understand who Jesus was at the moment. They just knew that the guy they were following and learning from kept talking about him and kept pointing to him. And there was something in them that they wanted to know where he was staying. Where is he lodging? Where are you abiding? Where can we go to be with you? Where can we sit with you? Where can we learn from you? Their desire was not a what. Their desire was a who. They wanted to be with Jesus and meet Jesus personally. To be where he was. To know him more. To understand who he was and why he came. Here's the question for us. We have to ask. Otherwise, in a couple minutes, we're just going to check out. Why are you here? What did you come here today seeking? What did you hope would be accomplished in this time this morning? Do we come here with any expectation that God wants to do something in our lives? 
Or is this just something we do? Here's the thing, if the point of being here is not to meet with Jesus and not to be impacted by Jesus, we're going to miss the meaning of all of this. You may have come for another reason. You may be here because someone brought you or someone drug you. The reality is we lose sight of this initial heartbeat of meeting Jesus. We're going to lose sight of everything else that God wants to do in our life. Again, Jesus was asking these men to think about meaning and motivation As Jesus responds to them after they ask the question, He says, come and you will see. And the Bible tells us it was about the 10th hour there in verse 39 at the very end. And that may not mean much to us now. It means about 4 o'clock. But John was led by the Spirit to draw out this particular time. What it tells us is that it was getting late in the day. Jewish custom is typically they wouldn't travel after 6 o'clock at night. So in, in getting with Jesus and wherever he was staying at this particular moment in time, we know it was late in the day. And so these two men who stepped out of their comfort zone and following Jesus, not fully understanding who he was, did to have a slumber party with Jesus. How awesome would that be? It's like one of the first lock-ins in the Bible. But you notice how Jesus only does lock-ins with two people. Beyond that's of the devil. Amen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was after a time, me and Jesus, they came to deeper understanding. What it means is they matured in their relationship with God. How do we know that? Well, look here in the text in verse 41 and 42. Andrew, after spending the night with Jesus and after having this conversation with Jesus and coming to understand about Jesus, he immediately is driven to go find his brother Peter. Then he finds Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, verse 41, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. When Andrew calls Jesus the Messiah here, which John is led to give us this little information that it means Christ, what Andrew is saying to Peter, his brother, after spending time with Jesus and meeting with Jesus and maturing in his understanding of God and Jesus Christ, he's saying, look, Peter, brother, we have found the anointed one. We have found the one the prophets, our scriptures, have been speaking about. He's here. Come and meet him. And this is what maturing is meant to do. Maturing is meant to deepen our relationship with God so we might be moved to mission. Maturing isn't the sake of gaining more understanding and more knowledge of God. is isn't be able to rattle off uh, scripture verses or have scripture verses memorized. Maturing in our relationship with God is meant to be the fuel that we use as we go about God's mission. Well, Philip has an encounter with Jesus. He meets Jesus there in verse 43. This is like a divine revelation as Jesus just comes into Philip's life. After Philip meets Jesus, he has a similar response to Andrew. He goes and finds his friend Nathaniel, known as Bartholomew, and he invites Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus. After Nathaniel matures in his relationship, in his understanding who Jesus is, Nathaniel proclaims in verse 49, Rabbi, which means teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel matured in his understanding after meeting with Jesus that this is the one we have been waiting for. He is the Son of God, the one proclaimed, the one who is here to redeem the people of God and to take the sins of the world upon himself. This is what Nathaniel is proclaiming because he is matured. And this is where we are in danger here this morning. I look across this room and I see a lot of people that I know have met Jesus. 
But the danger is, is after meeting Jesus, some of us aren't maturing in that relationship. And you can be here on church on Sunday morning. You can be in a small group during the week or a small group later tonight. You can be in a Bible study. You can listen to sermon podcasts and you can read Christian books. But that doesn't mean you're maturing if it's not deepening your understanding of who God is and what God wants to do. It's just head knowledge. It's just building more storehouses. God wants us to know Him more. And we know Him more through Jesus Christ. We need to understand this. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, that God wants us to know Him deeper so we can fall in love with Him deeply. Our maturing and our being here this morning and being in the Word of God isn't to be like, oh, that was good. It's to move us to a deeper place of worship and awe and adoration of who God is. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And then we take that knowledge and we take it to people who need to hear it. What we see in this encounter in John chapter 1 is our maturing is meant to change us. It begins in verse 35 where Andrew and John were just curious spectators. But after meeting Jesus, they understood who Jesus was and why it was important for others to meet Jesus. When Peter met Jesus, Jesus declared upon him his new identity in verse 42. He says that you are Simon, the son of John. This was who Peter was before meeting Jesus. The name Simon, when you read through the Gospel, is just a little key. Anytime he's referred to as Simon Peter, always take note of what Simon Peter's doing or saying in that moment. Because the name Simon is in reference to his unstable, sinful nature. So Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, Look, I know you. I know your father. You're Simon. You're a bit unstable at this time. Read through the Gospels. You'll see how unstable Simon is at times. But Peter, or Jesus, declares upon Peter, even though you are Simon, even though you are unstable, you shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for, for rock, which is what the name Peter means. What Jesus is saying is that now that you have met with me, and I'm going to invite you into a relationship with me, I'm going to mature you, and when I mature you, I'm going to change you. I'm going to take you from this unstable, sinful individual and I'm going to make you Peter. I'm going to make you one who is founded upon the rock of your salvation. I'm going to transform you. See, meeting with Jesus, being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is meant to change us. The Bible speaks of those who meet Jesus that they are now justified by faith. They are now sanctified by God, which means they're set apart. And this is the first step, but after we meet Jesus, we're called to mature in our relationship and our understanding and our love for Him. Why? Well, look at what happens in this text. Do you notice what happens after everyone who meets Jesus and comes to an understanding who Jesus was? They meet Jesus, they mature. Do you, you see what they did every single time? They were automatically qualified to be on mission for the kingdom of God. 
Jesus never tells anybody, hey, why don't you go to your buddy? Hey, why don't you go to your brother? Hey, if there's somebody you think about that, that needs to meet me, why don't you bring them? They automatically, after meeting Jesus, understanding who Jesus was, why he was so important, they automatically respond by getting on mission for the kingdom of God to what? Bring other people to meet Jesus. This is why we're here. Otherwise, when we're saved, God should just take us home to eternal glory. But God has called us in this relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. We grow in our understanding and our knowledge of Him. We become transformed, all for the purpose that we're continually bringing people. We're on mission that people might meet Jesus and come into relationship with Him. This is what Harvest Hill is about. This is why we say, love God, love people. Because if we're not bringing people to Jesus, then we have to take it off our van, we have to take it off our website, we have to take it off Facebook, because we're not doing it. To love God, love people means, I understand how much God loves me through Jesus Christ, and I want other people to understand that, so I'm going to bring them to Jesus. That's the whole point. That's why we're doing Vacation Bible School. That's why we meet on Sunday mornings. That's why we meet Wednesday night lives. That's why we do youth events. That's why we go to camp. That's why we have prayer meetings and small groups. It's all for the purpose that people would meet Jesus and come into a relationship with Him, begin to mature, so they get on mission for the kingdom of God, so other people can begin to what? Meet Jesus, mature, and get on mission for the kingdom of God. It's all this multiplication. It's like... It's like we're spiritual gremlins. God puts a little spiritual holy water on us and we begin multiplying like crazy. That's the whole purpose here. We're called to bring people to Jesus. Not just be a church. Praise the Lord. We're called to get in Bible study so we fall more in love with Jesus. Understand more about His love and who He is. Why? So we can share that with other people who need to meet Jesus. I don't read books. I don't study the Bible so at the end of the year I can make a Facebook post about how many books I read this year. It's that through those books I'm meeting Jesus and growing in my relationship with Him so I can be on mission for what God wants to do through me. Look here. God, in this text, verse 35 through 51, God wants to use each and every individual, but he uses them through different means. John the Baptist preached Jesus. Andrew and the other John met Jesus through personal engagement. Philip had a divine encounter. Nathaniel initially hasn't it, but heard and he saw the proof. No matter where you are today, God has called you as his child, to join him on the mission of presenting Jesus so other people can meet Jesus and then mature in the relationship with God. Being on mission for God isn't a one-size-fits-all. Not everyone here is called to be a preacher. No amens? Okay, so who's preaching next week? <laughs> Sam, all right. Charlie, you want to help him with that? And No, all right. You're on your own, buddy. But not everyone here is called to be a preacher or a teacher. Not everyone here, this may hurt somebody's feelings, but not everyone here is a very good listener. And some of us know that about ourselves. We are just not very good listeners. And not everyone here, sorry, gives good advice. You may think you're a good advice giver, but other people hear you give advice and they're like, don't do that. Not everyone here is a good advice giver. Not everyone here is comfortable with opening up their homes and inviting people in. Not everyone here has the patience 
to love people who are hesitant about meeting Jesus. Not everyone here can, can walk people through that. Not everyone here has the patience to love on students and children. Here's the thing. Not everyone here is called to do one thing or everything, but everyone here is called to do something. You may not be equipped to teach or preach, but you are equipped to love God and parents who have younger children. I think it's not the biggest ministry, but one of, one of the biggest ministries in this church is children's church and nursery. And it's the most overlooked because we look at it as babysitting. But you understand what you're doing in that moment is you're actually on mission in ministering to parents with younger kids so they can come and get refreshed, hear the Word of God, be renewed and strengthened so that they can love on their kids in the name of Jesus Christ for the rest of the week. So we sacrifice maybe an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, the preacher goes long. But you're making eternal impacts. The same with youth ministry. Man, I, I hated the stereotype of the youth pastor. Oh, you're just babysitting my kid. I also hate it when parents would bring me their kid. God bless their soul, the kid at least. The kid was a total wreck and say, here, you have an hour, fix him or her. Could be a her, right? I need no amen from the female section over here. The youth pastor is not a babysitter either. He's loving on our kids here. Jason does an incredible job. Pray for him, minister him. Go and ask him, how can I help you? And it may not be teaching. It may not be preaching. He just may need you to pray for some particular individuals. And anybody can do that. You may not be equipped to teach. But you're an individual, and we've got several in here. Man, Jan Marler. Whew. Let me just lift Jan up for a moment, and she will slap me later for it. You slap the other mic, though, okay? Okay. You want to sit down and have a personal encounter and personal engagement? Sit down with Jan Marler. You don't even have to sit. She'll, she'll talk to you standing up. But someone who shares about her personal experience with Jesus and how Jesus is working in a a real, raw way at times, sometimes with tears. But you know what? Not everybody can do what Jan does. Some of us are just awkward conversationalists. Amen? I mean, we say things like, oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Or we say things and then we get in the car and like five minutes later we think about how we should have said it. See, some of us can't do conversations like Jan and other people in the church. Some of us can't sit down with people and make them automatically feel at ease and comfortable with being themselves and just opening themselves up. Some of us here just aren't comfortable in front of people, but you know what? We find fulfillment and purpose when we begin fixing something around a church, when we sweep the floor, when we take out the trash, when we do things that maybe nobody else wants to do or even nobody else sees. But you know what? You're on mission. You're serving not for glory. You're serving for the kingdom of God. You're doing something that you see that God has brought to your attention and you're jumping on. Here's the thing. God has not called you to just one thing. And He definitely has not called you to do everything here. But He has called you to do something here. 
And part of maturing our relationship with God is being on mission for the kingdom of God. And if this is where God has planted you, this is the church that you call home, this is where you tend to find yourself on Sundays, maybe not every Sunday, but at least frequently throughout the year, then this is the place where God is drawing you to be a part of what he is doing here. And God is saying in this moment to you from me that he cannot do what he wants to do at Harvest Hill without you. Because you're a part of his body. You're the representation of Jesus Christ. Okay, that was an awkward conversation. God can do whatever he wants. Let me go back there for a second. But Harvest Hill, the body of Christ, cannot be the healthy, strong church it needs to be without you being a part of God's mission through it. And he doesn't call Richard Campbell to be the van driver the, and, and Dwayne to be the van driver, the chaperone, security team, nursery, Bible, children's church, youth leader, chaperone to youth camp. He doesn't call anybody here to do it all. But he has called you here to do something. And you may be in a spiritual rut in this moment, and here's the spiritual gut check. You may be in a spiritual rut in this moment because you've met with Jesus and you're growing in your understanding of Jesus, but you're not doing anything with that on mission for Jesus. And so Christianity and church is just something you do and it's beginning to feel at times meaningless without purpose because you just punch in and you punch out. It's becoming like your job that we all love so much that we're waiting for retirement, right? This is about a relationship and God in his words is that therefore we are now ambassadors for Christ, Christ appealing through us all. From Sam, our guest preacher next week, right? To our older and wiser individuals through all of us. You see these people here in John, their activity in the mission and how they went about sharing Jesus and bringing people so they can meet Jesus was all a reaction to the maturing in the relationship with Jesus. They didn't understand it all. Read through the rest of the gospel and you see how they mess up. You'll see how Simon, who is Peter, puts his foot in his mouth more than once. But you'll see that it wasn't about knowing it all and having it all figured out. They knew the essential. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And people need to meet Him. And because of that, they got on, they got on mission which the end goal is multiplication through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so awesome right here. Day one, verse 29, one guy. <laughs> one guy understands Jesus, is talking about Jesus. Day two, one guy turns to two people, which turns to four people. Day three is John the Baptist, the other John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, 
All recorded as meeting Jesus, maturing with God, and now they're on mission. This is the point, is multiplication. God wants to take our meeting with Him, our experiences and our encounters with Him, mature those, plug us into His mission, so that we can love God and love Him more deeply, and that love for God begins to flow out into other people, and we show that we love them. This is all the sake of multiplication. God wants to use you to multiply His love onto other people. What are you seeking? Why are you here? comes down to two things discipleship and evangelism discipleship and evangelism this is what every child of God should be a part of discipleship and evangelism and again don't misinterpret evangelism evangelism doesn't mean you better find your corner and start preaching the gospel evangelism means you begin having personal encounters with people and you share about what God is doing in your life that's evangelism. Discipleship. You're here to grow in your relationship because you've met Jesus, so you're growing your relationship. And then from that growing, you apply that. You're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So you join on God's mission for the sake of multiplication, discipleship, and evangelism. Meet, mature, mission, multiply. Meet, mature, mission, multiply. Discipleship, evangelism. Discipleship, evangelism. That's really what it's all about, guys. So why are you here? What are you seeking? This is Jesus' question. What did you come here today seeking? Was it to grow? Was it to hear God speaking to you, inviting you to be a part of what He's already doing? God's command and commission us is that we love God and love people. Meet Jesus, be on mission. Meet Jesus, mature, be on mission, multiply. Why are you here? Maybe you're here and you're like, well, pa Pastor Mike, I think that's your name. <laughs> I'm here because someone made me. <laughs> and so the question is still for you, though. What are you seeking here this morning? Don't you know there's a God who loves you, who knows all things, and He has set this time apart in eternity to meet with you? Look here at the end of this encounter, and we'll wrap up with this. Nathaniel was hesitant. That may have been you this morning. Someone invited you to come to church. You were hesitant about coming. You weren't sure about it all, but because they kept badgering you about it, you came. You're like Nathaniel here. Nathaniel came with his prejudices. He came with his understanding. You know, anything good come from Nazareth? Part of that was prejudice because Nazareth is a little bitty town that, you know, nothing really ever came out of that. There's no prophet spoken of to come out of Nazareth. It was understood that the Savior, the Messiah, would not come from Nazareth but from Bethlehem. So part of that is his understanding of the Scriptures. And part of that is that, well, you know, it, it's, it's Nazareth. But when he meets Jesus... Jesus reveals his omniscience, his all-knowing about Nathanael. In verse 48, For Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. And guess what, buddy? I saw you there. 
This revelation, this personal encounter with Jesus, because Philip made Nathanael come to meet Jesus, come and see for yourself, led Nathanael to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. The Son of God, the King of Israel. And then Jesus isn't amazed by his understanding, but says, because I saw you on a fig tree, that's why you believe? Because I revealed that I'm actually the Son of God, that's now why you believe? Let me tell you this, Nathaniel. If you get on board with me, if you follow me, and you mature in this thing I'm calling you to, you're going to see greater things than these. What an invitation. You thought that was good. Just wait, buddy. And then he goes on to say, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? What's kind of crazy? When did that happen? When did Nathaniel see that? We've got to go back. Nathaniel was an Israelite. He was a Jew. He was fully aware of the Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. He was fully aware of the stories. And that's why he could not believe Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, because he understood that. But he still came. You may be here with your hesitations, but someone still got you here. And what Jesus proclaims to Nathaniel is a story Nathaniel would have been very familiar with. It goes back to a story in the book of Genesis. It's Jacob's ladder. And if you want to like Google that and find the reference later, you can. But it's a vision that Jacob was given of this ladder that extended up to heaven and the angels were ascending and descending into the throne of God, the holiness of God. This is the imagery which Jesus is using to tell Nathaniel, look, buddy, if you just believe in me, if you just mature with me and allow me to make you and who you need to be, you're going to see incredible things because you know that vision Jacob had. I'm going to top that because it's not just going to be angels descending and ascending into the throne room of God. I have descended. I'm going to ascend and I'm going to give you full access to that throne if you just stick with me. But it's only through me. Nathaniel's like, sign me up because nobody else has that sort of access. And this is where you may be this morning. You don't know why you're here, but you need to know nobody has the access to God, to heaven, except Jesus Christ. And if you're trying to do it in any other way by being a good person or, or making sure you go to church enough before you meet God face to face, it's not going to cut it. Because the proclamation upon you is that I never knew you. I never met you. You may be here this morning, and this is where you are, why you're here. This is what you didn't know why you're here, but God came and brought you here because He's seeking after you to be in a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, when I admit that I am a sinner, when I fall short, when I do things I shouldn't do, when I mess up, when I make awkward conversations at times that don't bring God glory, that's sin. And that falls short to God's glory. And because I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God. But the Bible does this incredible thing. And what Jesus is pointing to is that when I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again, I can be completely forgiven for those sins. As if they never happened. That's what justified means. Just as if I never sinned in the first place. And when I place my faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for His death and His resurrection, the Bible says I am saved. And heaven is mine. And I have access on this side of eternity into the throne room of God and His grace. 
If you're here this morning, if you have to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me answer the question why you're here. This is why right now. This is the day of your salvation. But if you're here and you've already accepted Christ and you're feeling kind of, you've been off spiritually, maybe the question is, what are you doing with what you've come to know about Jesus? Are you keeping it yourself or are you getting on mission and allowing God to use you in incredible ways that you never thought possible? So we're going to come this time of invitation. We're going to ask Jackson to come up and lead us. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be down here. You just come down and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just trying to figure out, God, where do you want me? Would you be willing to come and kneel before the Father, not worry about what other people may think, and just lift it up to God? God, I want to be your humble servant. Reveal to me, show me where I can be on mission for you here at Harvest Hill. Maybe you're here and you just know you haven't been growing and maturing. You just need to repent of that. Maybe you're here. And there's people in your life you've been trying to introduce Jesus to, but there's just this wall. There's something that keeps blocking it. Multiplication only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. I cannot bring people to salvation. You cannot bring people to salvation. It is only through the Holy Spirit through you. So maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father and lift them up in prayer and submit to His will and ask Him to give you the words that would be pleasing to Him that individuals that God has already placed in your life can meet Jesus. This is our time of invitation, our time to respond. Jackson's going to lead us. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and I'm going to invite you to come. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, to use all people from all places, from all walks of life, with all knowledge, with all backgrounds. Father, you don't care. You invite us all to be your children. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you sanctify us and justify us. And you continue to work in us. Good work. Lord, right now in this moment, I, I, I look around this room and I just sense it. There are people in this room that when they thought about people that they've been trying to share the gospel with and have been resistant to it, there are people in this room whose hearts begin to tingle, begin to, to twitch. Lord, I know it's your spirit. You've given, these, you've given my brothers and sisters in Christ a passion and a conviction and a desire the people in life to meet Jesus, but Lord, there's something keeping that from happening. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we rebuke that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you and ask for forgiveness for those times that we have stopped sharing about your love to these people's lives because we've been so resistant. Father, renew a steadfast spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Let us be the feet that bring good news. So Father, in this moment, it's time to ask your spirit just to bring someone to mind, everyone that's here, that is already in their life, that needs to meet you through Jesus Christ. As a friend, a co-worker, someone we play sports with or have a hobby with, a parent we interact with, Father, you've called and commanded us all to go and make disciples. You've called us all your ambassadors, the salt and light of this earth. Be on mission 
for your will. Father, we lift these individuals up to you. We ask you to open the door that only you can open, that conversations would happen, that we can share about what you're doing in our life and how we've encountered you. And that these people wouldn't just hear the story or hear the message, but Lord, they would come to a place of conviction and repentance and they would be saved. Father, forgive us as a church when we've kind of just gotten through the motions and forgot why we're doing what we're doing. I know, Lord, and you know we get tired at times. But forgive us when we forget that there are people that you bring through these doors every single week that have yet to meet you in a relationship. Forgive us for allowing our flesh to overcome us because the flesh is weak. Father, I pray for Vacation Bible School coming up. I pray for youth camp and children's camps that are coming up. Father, your will would be done, your kingdom would come. Lord, we come this time of response. Thank you for this day. Forgive me if I failed you in any way, if I've gotten in your way, Lord. Praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.